RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Oh, hey there. Just doing what I always do on a Tuesday night. I don't know about you, but I like to fire up the webcam, turn on a big honking microphone, and reach out to the whole entire internet and talk about Star Trek. That's right, it's Tuesday night, and that can only mean it's time for Mission Log Live. I'm John Champion. And I am Claire Kramer, and I also love to talk into a big honking uh, microphone every every night I'm invited to at the Roddenberry Podcast Network, where Star Trek calls from all over the world come to talk about Trek. And that means talk about ideas, talk about morals, meanings, messages, and that is exactly what we're going to be doing tonight. Yes, it is. The microphone suits you, Claire. Thank you so Thank much you, for John. joining me tonight. <laughs> this is very exciting. The first of what I hope will be many amazing Mission Log Lives with you. Uh, so yeah, we are excited tonight to talk about two, two new Star Trek stories. You have the girl who made the stars and Ephraim or Ephraim and Dot. We've been talking about how to pronounce it. You know, we'll, we'll there's, there. there's a couple different ways. <laughs> there, there are. It depends on where you're from and there's a whole history to it. But those are brand new animated Trek stories and we cannot wait to hear what you think about it all. So you know the drill. The show is about you, your thoughts, and your opinions. So give us a call. And if you want to give us a call, here is what you need to do. You need to click on the Zoom meeting link that's posted in the Facebook chat, or you can use the one tap from your smartphone, or you can call us at 669-900-6833. That's 669-900-6833 and enter the meeting code you see on the screen right there in front of you. The show works best with you. So let's get to talking track. Yes, let's talk about it. In fact, I'm going to say hi to some of the people who are in the chat right now saying hi. Uh, nice to see Cosmo, Paul, Pam, Dennis, uh, Carlos. Uh, let's see, there's the Vice Admiral Thomas himself. You might meet the Vice Admiral tonight. Uh, you got uh, David, you got Aaron, uh, you got Scott Palm. What up, Scott Palm? Uh, you got Chuck. Uh, he says, this must be the place. You're right, Chuck. This must be the place. And you're here. You're all in it. Uh, you got Kim. You got uh, Chris. You got uh, a couple of shout outs to you directly. Hello to Claire right away. Well, welcome hello from everybody. Isn't that nice? Thanks, yeah. everybody. That's so it's so nice to feel welcome. Yeah, you got you got two Daves, actually, Dave and David saying hey to you directly. So you have a big fan club made up of Daves. I love I love my Daves. Who doesn't? <laughs> you know, all the Daves. Oh, and Carlos says, is that an Enterprise 1701 behind Claire? And indeed it is. It's like super far away, but that print is so big that they can see the cutaway Enterprise. Yeah, uh, it's pretty amazing, yeah. actually. Yeah. It's a, it's a really cool cutaway. You'll have to come check it out sometime. Everybody. Come check Everybody. it out. <laughs> hey, before we get into the show too much, uh, we, we always like to hit a little bit of news. So I'll talk about what's happening with uh, the podcast network and Mission Log, and then we're going to hear about you and what you're up to. Uh, but really quickly, a uh, little time off for the holidays. This is the last Mission Log Live of 2019. Of course, next week, Christmas, and then the week after that, New Year's Eve. Uh, I don't know what you're all doing, but I'm, I'm going to go do something. We'll see. I might let you know uh, what, what all happens. Depends. And then uh, Mission Log Live will be back on Tuesday, January 7th, and your regular Mission Log will resume mid-January, though it looks like we might have a special show on the 9th. 
Now, remember that Picard starts on January 23rd on CBS All Access, and that means we will start a new Mission Log Live on January 28th, covering all 10 episodes of that show's first season. And that's kind of the, the whole thing on Mission Log Live. When there's new Trek on the air, we're talking about new Trek full of spoilers. So those of you who are watching and listening to this week's show, just you know, stop now if you, if you don't want to know, because we will spoil everything in our recaps and in our discussion. Uh, but then when there's not new Trek on the air, we have guests, we have callers, we talk about whatever you want. So stick around for a full year of Mission Log Live resuming on January 7th. Um, that's it for Mission Log and Mission Log Live news. But Claire, you have stuff coming up. Uh, first of all, you invited me to come to a screening of Dark Web at Comic-Con in San Diego. And that is up now for people to see on Amazon Prime. Am I right? It, you are correct. And thank, thank you for showing your support and coming. And uh, I hope people enjoy the series. It is about the dark web. Um, each episode is connected, but they're, the main stories of each episode are standalone stories. So my episode is episode five, and I play a very interesting character. I'll just leave uh, it at that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Uh, so there's that. And then you're doing some uh, convention appearances, some hosting, et cetera. I will be hosting uh, two of Reed Pop's upcoming events, C2E2 um, in Chicago and Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle, February and March. So really looking forward to that. I love hosting the main stage there. Excellent. And by the way, things are happening in the chat room. It sounds like the Daves are conspiring to start an All the Daves uh, fan club. So ATDs <laughs> for Claire, All the Daves. I, I uh, love my Daves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of jealous now. You got all the Daves. So, you know what? Uh, I'm sorry, but I'm not sharing. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm, of course I'm sharing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, before we get to the recaps and discussion of tonight's episodes, we always have a poll question we like to ask you, our listeners. So last week, we had Dan Curry on, and of course, he created so many visual effects and, and contributed so much to Star Trek over uh, a couple of decades, uh, everything from Klingon martial arts to matte paintings, uh, building props, uh, to blowing up spaceships. And we all know those spaceships blow it up real good. So uh, Dan designed two of the most prominent Klingon weapons that you have ever seen. And we asked you, what is your Klingon weapon of choice? You had a choice between Batleth and Mechleth. No surprise here, Batleth. 66% of you preferred that over the mech left. We'll be sure to let Dan know uh, in case he wants to start a, a line of Klingon weaponry. We'll see. Um, <laughs> it, it wouldn't be the first, I imagine. No, no it wouldn't. It wouldn't there's, indeed. There's, there's room for both the Batleths and the Mechleths, I think. I, see, I like that. You're, yeah, you know? you, you're, your heart is open to all kinds of Klingon weaponry. Exactly. I'm not judging. I'm not judging at all. Uh, well, this week's poll, of course, we talked about the new short treks um, and you guys weighed in and there was a pretty big discrepancy here. <laughs> the girl who made the stars, only 22%, a little bit surprising, which we can talk about later. Yeah. And Ephraim and Dot, 78%, very strong showing. People love that nostalgic feel i guess john I, yeah yeah there, there is so much to talk about i mean you and i yeah. just before the show had a lot to talk about and not only were we talking about our opinions but looking at other people's opinions right as well so yeah 
lot to, yes, lot to, lots to talk about. So let's jump right in. I will um, sort of give you a brief recap in case you uh, are just tuning in without having watched the shorts. The Girl Who Made the Stars, a very young Michael Burnham is awakened by a lightning storm in space, which is a space storm in case you didn't know. <laughs> her father comes in, of course, to tell her a story to help her go to sleep like good fathers do. And this story is about ancient ancestors who thousand centuries ago lived in Africa and they feared the night because there were no stars at this point in time. And as their land became less arable, one little girl suggested they look past the mountains to the unknown land, an idea that was quickly shot down by the elders. Um, That was too far. It would be dark before they could get there. And since they were afraid of the dark, they could only travel as far as they could travel back to the center of their village, you know, and before nightfall came. So they They were afraid to go past that point. So the little girl decides she's going to go out on her own and the night comes while she's on her journey and it is embodied as a huge black snake. And she is, of course, terrified and shutting her eyes until she sees something peeking open fall from the sky and a bright light that she follows starts following this bright light that's fallen out of the sky and she's reaching for the source of the light and she finds a being of some sort, kind of like an alien to her. And that alien sizes her up as a brave warrior and gives her the gift of a glimpse of the galaxy as it truly is, which is of course full of light. And before departing the earth in its vessel, the being gives the girl an orb to take back to her village. So the girl travels back to her village, and when she arrives, the elders, of course, are angry and worried that she could have been killed in the night, but she shows them this orb that was given to her, and she opens it up to release the night sky full of stars and the galaxies, and the little girl then, of course, grows up to become a great explorer, a warrior, even the queen of her village, and the young Michael Burnham gets it. It's the light inside of her all the time that told her she didn't have to be afraid. And of course, Michael tells her father that she doesn't need the nightlight anymore. Oh, that is see, the end I'm, of the I'm story. Already, yes, it's, I'm, I'm already getting that she doesn't need to be afraid, Claire. She, I mean, you know, it's about overcoming your fears, John Champion. Yes, <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, so, well, uh, well said, well done. And if you'll indulge me here, I will uh, fill us in on uh, Ephraim and Dot. So we open with a Starfleet educational film about the varieties of flora and fauna to be found in space, but we'll focus on the friendly and very large tardigrade drifting through the mycelial network looking for a place to lay her eggs. An asteroid looks good until it's run over by a familiar-looking starship. The tardigrade peaks in a porthole. We definitely know where and when we are as Khan introduces himself to Kirk for the first time. About that time, a robot, apparently on cleanup duty, lets itself out an airlock to shoo away the tardigrade, but then the tardigrade makes its way into the Enterprise. The engine room turns out to be a great place to lay her eggs, with with all the warm machinery nearby. The tardigrade nap is interrupted, though, by the robot, Dot again, to give chase and finally eject her from the ship. Time passes. The Enterprise is witness to missions around Pollux 4, the K-7 space station, even in Tholian space. The Tardigrade is in pursuit all this time, even when the Enterprise battles a USS Reliant and finally in a battle with a Klingon bird of prey over the Genesis planet. When the hull starts breaking apart, the Tardigrade makes her way inside. Meanwhile, Dot is trying to put out fires. The eggs are still there in engineering. Only Dot 
is in the way. The tardigrade has pushed out an airlock again just as the starship begins to self-destruct, but Dot sees what's happening. One of the eggs begins to hatch. Making its way back to the Enterprise, the tardigrade is stunned to witness the ship explode in a blaze. When it seems all is lost, though, there's Dot, a little shaken, there to present a litter of baby tardigrades. Mm. The end. The end. Yeah. I think the CBS, they're really invested in, in the cuteness of tardigrades. Well, they kind of have to be. There's a, another <laughs> franchise out there that's invested in the cuteness of small green babies at the moment. Right? Yeah. Ooh, man. Oh, don't make me pick. It's going to team tardigrade and team baby Yoda. The and there's, child. No, there's no, you know. <laughs> no, I know. It's a loose comparison. <laughs> it is. It is. So um, I, I have many thoughts on both of these episodes. I mean, I, I guess I'll, I'll just start. Which one do you my- to discuss first well i mean let, let me say this i i enjoyed both of them a lot i i really did they're just fun they're they're entertaining they're exciting they had a lot happening in them um but i'm i'm gonna start out here by talking about uh the girl who made the stars because i feel like it's getting short shrift in all of this discussion um yeah i just i i think that first of all it's a Maybe there's something about it that appeals to me, like when you'd go to a a Disney movie or you watch an old episode of of Disneyland and they show the little short cartoon at the beginning, like, here's the story of transportation. Then they show you something new. And I kind of like that, that we're actually going back and we're setting up this, this core ideal of Star Trek by telling an ancient myth. Like, to me, there Mm -hmm. is nothing more at the core of Star Trek than what is said in this short little cartoon. And, and I think it's beautifully said. Right. Like trust yourself, follow your lights. You know, I don't know of the two, if you were to compare the two, I was actually surprised when I looked at the voting and I'm, I'm anxious to hear what um, the listeners thought, but I, to me, this was the more classic Trek story than Ephraim and Dot. So, you know, Ephraim and Dot, had a lot of, I don't know, I, it, it, to me, it was kind of like a more violent in a way. It didn't (laughs) reflect the ideologies so much. It, it called, it recalled a lot of Trek references, of course, but the girl who made the stars was, that's the story and idea of Star Trek to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, there's something, uh, you, you even said it when we were talking that uh, Ephraim and Dot was like uh, like a Tom and Jerry cartoon. It was like a Looney Tunes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I liked, you sure. know, but it, I, to me, it it didn't make sense that those two characters were juxtapositioning each other in a, you know, in a fighting sense throughout the whole episode. Yes, there was the payoff of the end of with, of course, Dot saving the babies, but I don't know, it just didn't, it didn't sit right in the world of Trek to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll give them this, that I, I think maybe what's going on here, and, and, and maybe that's my frustration or, not, not frustration, again, I enjoyed it, uh, but that's maybe where I'm not connecting with it as much, is that in the best sense of the word, it is this love letter to Star Trek. And I think more effective than at the end of Enterprise, you know, Brandon Braga and Rick Berman always said, well, the finale of Enterprise is a love letter to Star Trek where we're, we're tying in these loose ends and telling this, but it, it just wasn't 
effective. It just didn't work, particularly when they just killed off one of their main characters. Mm -hmm. Um, This, I think if you take it completely out of context, and maybe if we hadn't had, you know, 750 plus hours of Star Trek already, you could go, oh, wow, is the singular moment to look at Star Trek from outside eyes, literally outside. Um, There is something kind of uh, uh, touching and and a little nostalgic about it. But I feel like so much of Star Trek already minds what has come before in Star Trek. So yeah, it, yeah, I mean, it, it maybe didn't have the emotional punch for me. I, I don't think like, to me, the, the 99% of the story was about exclusion. Yeah. Why? <laughs> right. There was no, there was, it, there was no established, you know, relationship between the characters that would that would give them animosity there was it was just the constant exclusion of this poor woman who wanted to put her eggs somewhere you know <laughs> right, right. i understand that woman you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just want to lay eggs you know yeah, it's very yeah. very motherly thing to do and for this you know robot to constantly be like cutting her off and pushing her out and you know slamming her and sucking her and she gets sucked up the jeffrey tube and she gets yeah, stuck. Yeah. It, it, i was like why why is this all happening i don't understand understand what the moral or the point is. And usually when I'm watching anything track, that is something I take for granted. And it yeah. was missed for me yeah. in this short. Well, it, it, it's very much the story of the devil in the dark, where, you know, from the original series, uh, for, for the, the one of you in the audience who maybe hasn't seen it or, or don't remember the details, you know, go down to a mining colony and there's this monster killing the miners who are there. And, uh, and it, it turns out that these nodules, these silicone nodules are the eggs of that creature. But you leave it to Kirk and Spock and, and specifically Spock to figure out, oh, this is a mother protecting her babies. Now, of course, in that episode, we all learned that. We all learned that from the experience of the characters going through that. In this, you're telling the same story, except you come full stop. The Enterprise has been blown up. It's gone. This robot, it took 20 years to figure out, oh, this is a sentient creature that's protecting its eggs. Aha. Okay. (laughs) So, you know, I, I don't want to sound like I'm bashing this episode because... There's a lot to like about it. There's a lot to love about it. I think the animation style is great. Mm -hmm. I love the music. Oh, they just nailed it with these. I mean, visually, it's great. Yeah, yeah. But I I just feel like, you know, it's all the touch points of, you know, you've been to Disneyland, Disney World before, right? Many a time. Mm -hmm. It's like when you go to a show and the show is just like, uh, hey, remember this song from this movie? Hey, you remember the song from this movie? Hey, you remember when uh, Pocahontas did this? It's like, you're not giving me a new context or a new way to appreciate it. This felt like a lot of like, oh, hey, remember that thing with Khan? Uh, you remember that thing with this? <laughs> you know? Right, drop-in moments, like yes. little, you know, um, you know, stunt moments, if you will. Yes, yes. It's like stunt casting your own episode mm-hmm. with animated characters, you know. Um, but but I, I, I don't want... I don't want to come across like this is a misstep. You know, it, it was fun. It's, I, I really like the animation style. We could see more Star Trek animated like that set in TOS. I'm down. I think that's great. Um, it just, it didn't grab me from an originality point of view the way the girl who made the stars did. Yeah. Um, 
because that that really pulled on the heartstrings and it, it really felt like all right we're making a case for why there is a star trek and and doing it in like six minutes <laughs> i mean know? i also like the continuation of the exploration of the michael character you know i mean yeah. sinequa i love her that little girl could have been sinequa i mean she was great who you know who did the voicing yes. of the character and um i i like seeing the youthful michael and and how sort of she became empowered and if i'm if I remember this correctly, there was at the beginning of season two for Discovery, a story was told in the in the premiere episode. And then there's a rumor that this was part of, they were going to call back to that storytelling and put this section in the season two, episode two finale. But they right. just, it was so jam packed with everything they couldn't, but they really liked the concept. So they decided to make a short, I don't know a hundred percent if that's, yeah, yeah true but i like i would like to believe it is because it's a cool story yeah no it's a very cool story and i, I would like to think that that happened too or at least that idea was getting kicked around because it, mm -hmm. it really does do this this mythic arc to say like here's here's how this person got their inspiration to to be better to go beyond but it was yeah. interesting because i did notice in the background uh when they were showing the little girl in bed um there were two framed photos behind her and they were both of her and her father. And there was not a picture of her mother or the three oh, of them. Oh, mm -hmm. I did not notice that. What does that mean, John champion? Interesting. I don't know. I guess we'll have to find <laughs> out. Um, by the way, uh, some interesting comments coming in right now on Facebook that I want to share with, uh, with everybody. Um, uh, Keith says, my girls liked uh, Ephraim and dot, but they loved the girl who made the stars. Very interesting. Yeah. Uh, David, one, one of the Davids in your fan club, says, uh, Ephraim and Dot, total fan service, and also they can actually claim they brought Shatner and Montalban into the show, among other mm -hmm. things. So that's that kind of uh, good a good point for them to have accomplished there. Um, uh, Brian says, this is interesting, he says, people often talk about what is Star Trek. The girl who made the stars greatly expanded what Star Trek is and can be. If Star Trek is about the human adventure and that adventure is only just beginning, then we have been on a track from where we were in the universe to where we will be across the universe for a very long time. Yeah, absolutely. It, the, that cartoon makes that case uh, for getting, you know, taking those small steps, almost in this uh, Kubrick kind of way, uh, mm -hmm. Stanley Kubrick showing the, uh, the evolution of humankind uh, in just those few opening shots of uh, 2001. Um, Chris, Chris Riker says, my son, 11 years old, enjoyed both, so mission accomplished. Beyond all critiques, if this brings them young'uns, I'm going to make sure I got that right, young'uns, and to trek them, then great, more, more. <laughs> bring with multiple the young'uns in. Bring the young'uns in. Hey, um, in. we have a uh, caller standing by. We have a friend of the show ready to chime in with some deep thoughts on our two short treks this week. Uh, Claire, I'm excited for you because you get to meet the vice admiral um now you I'm may excited. have met the vice admiral before maybe i can remember when we were in vegas uh, uh i can neither confirm nor deny <laughs> oh you <laughs> believe <laughs> there, that's there the correct answer for evidence. any vegas story <laughs> <laughs> uh it happened to be a little uh, bar fleet party one year uh -huh. and uh, they took over some rooms i'm sure we could get the whole anyway 
the Vice Admiral uh, Erickson is standing by to talk to us. Oh, doesn't hang on. Let me make sure I can uh, unmute you. Oh, may have, oh, there he is. It's Vice, as I am. So, Vice Admiral, welcome to the show. <laughs> Good evening. How are you, John? How are you, Claire? How are you doing? Welcome. Excellent. Good to see you both. Yeah. Likewise. So. Um, I'm going to just jump right in here. I have Please. seen a lot of negativity today about some things about these two, and I don't quite get it, but I'm not going to focus on that. I don't want to make this about that. Do either of you pay attention to anime enough to know what the original Macross was like that became I, the first Robotech in this country? Oh, okay. Okay. I, I, I know a little of Robotech, but yeah. I, yeah I'm not going to go into the history or anything. Speaking, yeah. But, but in, in the history of, of, of the Macross universe, uh, which part of which became Robotech, there was a movie made called uh, Do You Remember Love? Hmm. And it was a retelling of the main story of the first season of Macross that became Robotech. And in the universe, it has an explanation for why there's, there's differences in tech and in characters and things like that. And that is that in the universe... It is a movie about that period of time when that war took place. <laughs> okay. So those differences are explained as creative ch choices. Okay, yeah. So in my world, I'm at, maybe not my world, my, in my opinion, my opinion, uh, the girl who made the stars works perfectly as a retelling of the, uh, of the legend as Michael remembers it from, you know, she has recounted to us in, in canon on season mm -hmm. two, right? Yeah. But Ephraim and Dot, which is wonderful and amazing, I look at as something very akin to the Tribble commercial at the end of the, the Trouble with Edward, which is you can't possibly tell me that that's supposed to be a, a, a canonical thing. I mean, it's probably a show or a, a, a live a stream or, or something that happened in universe that people watched in universe, but it's not meant to represent actual historical fact. It's a creative piece yeah. of fiction within the universe of Star Trek. And I think it, if we look at it like that, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. And it's gorgeous. I totally gorgeous. agree. I, I think that is very well put. And I, I, I agree. If you don't go in expecting it to be canon or, you know, ha allowing your mind to be free to what it actually is, then it's super enjoyable. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's so much fun. I can watch it again and again. It was so... Yeah, as you said, it's so, so Warner Brothers-like with all of the right <laughs> musical cues and all of the right you know, style and everything else, and it's perfect, as long as you don't have to try to take it too seriously. I, do you remember that at uh, Star Trek The Experience, that was part of the, uh, the pretense of what they were doing, is that all, all the actors there, when they started to have more high-profile, interactive uh, characters, they said, okay, the reason that this exists here in Vegas... This is the time station where all these characters from the future were sent back to, to interact and, and study uh, uh, 20th and you know, 21st century uh, uh, culture. Mm -hmm. And part of the thing was that they viewed Star Trek as the historical documents. So they yes, just, yes. Yeah, they would just refer to, so kind of a, uh, you know. Galaxy Quest reference, like yes, of course. A Galaxy Quest, yes, yes. So that's how they saw it. Um, and that was uh, wonderful. John Cooley says in the chat here, I kind of feel like people misunderstand Ephraim and Dot. Uh, they're laying a bit too much on it. Its purpose was to entertain new, younger viewers. My eight-year-old daughter loved both, but really enjoyed the TOS references that she recognized in Ephraim and Dot. This short was, in my opinion, an experiment, and it was a successful one at that. Yeah. 
Agreed. I, I, I think if yeah. there's some future animation coming out of, of the studios that looks like this, I think we're all going to be pretty happy about it. I yeah. completely agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of somebody who does not have kids, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't know which would have the most uh, appeal necessarily, but I, I, I feel like in both cases, the animation was good. I thought the human characters in The Girl Who Made the Stars were a little, it took me a minute to warm up to them, I'll be quite honest, mm. when you get into that uncanny valley and they, they kind of did the extreme thing with the giant eyes. And it, that was a little weird to me at first. Uh, but it was really cool in uh, Ephraim and Dot to see the recreations of characters that we already know as human characters, not perfectly rendered. You know, you'd be a little bit off to the side or through a porthole so you don't have to get it exact, but you knew immediately. Well, you knew because of the voice. Well, I mean, if you watch the animated series, it's what, 1973 and 74? Yeah. And so yeah. they actually did look exactly like that. Yeah. In, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. They did a good job of, in those moments, layering in the old... I felt like that was on purpose, actually. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. I always, I really appreciate how on the original animated series, because people talk about, oh, the animation is cheap, but, but look, they are able to get across so much with just a few paint strokes. It's like, here's a line, here's a line. Oh, look, that's Spock. And it's unmistakably Spock, you know? Oh, and you finally have true aliens on the bridge and other spots on the ship, right? Because yeah. you don't have that limitation. Exactly. So. Yeah. Uh, what else uh, uh, floats your boat about these uh, episodes, uh, Vice Admiral, or or not? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, my daughter is is you know now in her mid twenties, but if she were not, if she were back in a far younger age, I'm pretty sure she would have liked them both quite a lot. And if this was the kind of thing that they're trying to use to introduce younger viewers or to allow parents uh who are track fans to to you know give their kids a bit of a uh, an introduction i think i think it'll work great and uh yeah that sounds like a marketing ploy of course but on the other hand um there's been a lot of other properties that have used the same kind of thing i mean the the, the matrix with the animatrix for example there was right um uh, there was that series of batman anime things that came out around um uh, was the second or third dark knight movie but things like that, that, you know, that, that play into, you know, let's, let's play with the universe a little bit. Let's, um, you know, let's let folks have a little bit of free reign. And also, if it brings in some younger viewers, then nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think we both agree, John, that even though the J.J. movies may not be our exact cup of tea, they brought uh -huh. enormous numbers of new fans into yeah. the greater universe of Star Trek. And that's well, amazing and, and important. And that's the, you know, it's, it's about finding that entry point to a fandom, no matter what your age is, you know, exactly. and it could be that they're making these shareable, these are very shareable pieces of content and an episode or a season is not so shareable or easily digestible. So whether it's a younger audience or any audience at all, there's something to love for anyone in these two pieces. And it can only make you, you know, want to explore a little bit more, even if it's just other short tracks. Exactly. Yeah. And they do stand alone perfectly well. They're, 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 you know, there's nothing about them that requires you to have any prior knowledge. Yeah. Agreed. You know? 
Totally. It's just the, you may the, wonder why Abe Lincoln is flying through. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? You, you may wonder a few things. But you know, you know, an F run and dot. But you yeah. know, hey, he kind well, of he, he almost has like a Simpsons look to him. <laughs> almost, and I, no, was like, I will say this, John, and I said this to you in the Girl Who Made the Stars. I don't know who else grew up in the age of the Power Rangers, but the one moment in that short where I was like, "That's Zorro from Power." Power Rangers <laughs> is when the being came and was talking to her and, oh, and I'm like that is exactly somebody here who wrote that watched Power Rangers yes so that's definitely yes. a reference <laughs> yes I, I love it I love it uh Vice Admiral thank you for so so much for calling in tonight always a pleasure always a pleasure to talk to you and Claire lovely to talk to you as well likewise and I hope to see you uh, in Vegas this year I I hope to be there Awesome. So, I'll love right. meeting you if we have a chance. So take care, guys, man. Talk to you later. Have a good night. You too. Um, there was some stuff. I, I want to go back to uh, the girl who made the stars for a moment. Cause I, okay. I have some notes here that I thought were, uh, were interesting. There's uh, uh, there was a line that uh, uh, Michael Burnham's father has uh, early on. He says, I wonder if you hate the idea of being scared more than you are scared. And, and she says, I'm too young to understand that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I, I didn't totally follow it either. I had to like, wait, wait, is he, hmm, okay. Is he, what kind of psychology he's trying to lay down on his daughter here exactly? Um, I, I, any insight there? <laughs> um, you know, I think that, I think it's very, actually, it's a very simple statement if you think about it. You know, you're, okay. you're more scared of the idea of being scared than actually being scared. Yes, it's you, fear that holds us back. You work whether yourself it's actualized up. or not. Yes. You know, and isn't that another lesson of Trek? Yes. Very good. Yeah. And 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 a theme for this episode. Mm-hmm. There were um I, I wrote down a few things that I thought were foundational to Star Trek that that came up in this episode. Um you just nailed it, which is this idea of facing fears of having a courage. Um you, you know not letting that stop you from exploring the greater world. Um, I also thought the idea of not not adhering simply to the voice of myth or authority. Um, Star Trek has this very interesting give and take with authority where we typically follow authority figures like Captain Kirk, Captain Janeway, Captain Sisko, you know, but then they're the ones who typically will go against orders when it makes sense, mm-hmm. probably the morally right thing to do, you know? Um, and in this case, you have this little girl who is internalizing this message uh, uh, about fear and danger being all around her, but saying, this is the time that I won't let that stop me. You know, this is the moment that I'll stop just buying it because it's being told to me by somebody older. Mm-hmm. Um, Fortunately, it works out for her. Maybe it didn't work out for somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Um, but, yeah. you know, also the metaphor for uh, Michael, young Michael, is, you know, your world is as big as you make it. If you mm. make your world only what you can walk in and out of in a 12-hour period, then that's your world. And that was her whole village's world, you know? Yeah. And she had to envision more. And it wasn't just about conquering her fears. It was actually believing that there was something more out there, which is also a very Gene Roddenberry 
concept. You know, yeah, we, yeah. we are, we're just at the beginning of humanity and, and right. the galaxy. Yeah. Uh, see, well said. Um, and I, I like this idea that, um, the, the, the natural world should be explored and understood. And that brought me to this. Well, it, it brought me right back to, uh, oh, a, another captain, James T. Kirk, who <laughs> said, and I quote, you know, the greatest danger facing us is ourselves, an irrational fear of the unknown. There's mm-hmm. no such thing as the unknown, only things temporarily hidden, temporarily not understood. And We've talked about that line before many times on Mission Log. We've used it many times when we've done uh, stage panels or, or live discussions about it. And that line, that, that couple of lines, really resonated with me as I watched this episode, uh, the short track, um, because it just seemed like, okay, it, there is a direct line between this myth, you know, the, the ancient myth, and then the modern myth of. Captain Kirk telling this to his crew. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a direct line in a, in a production point of view between what the writers of Star Trek now in 2019 are saying to what the writers of Star Trek in 1966 were saying. And, uh, and that really warmed my heart. Well, I'm glad it warmed your heart. I, <laughs> <laughs> I love to see your heart warmed, John. Oh, well, thank you. You know, but I think also it goes... <sighs> It's a, it's a good calling out from the writer's room of the concept of storytelling and what the purpose of storytelling is. You know, the per, of course, storytelling has an entertainment value intrinsically, yeah. but it's through the ages and through history, throughout history, storytelling is used as a teaching tool and a, and a you know, tool in psychology. And so that is sort of, to me, again, what this story the girl who made the stars reflects yeah right um 669-900-6833 is the number to call us uh 669-900-6833 you can enter the meeting code that is on screen and i believe earl has posted that a few times in the uh, comment thread here i see a lot of people commenting uh sharing all kinds of uh takes on these two episodes you should call us and talk to us about that live not just leave those comments in the uh, chat I know you know what to do. You've been following us long enough. You know how to click a button, join the Zoom link, or just uh, give us a call, 669-900-6833. This is uh, fun stuff here. Chris Riker says, the film strip said tardigrades were docile, which would be news to Commander Landry. Yes, the the late Commander Landry. who met a sad end with the tardigrade. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, there was, uh, another thing in here that, uh, made me, uh, think of the girl who made the stars that, uh, made me think of a book that I really like. Uh, I'm a fan of Carl Sagan, uh, the late Carl Sagan and, uh, his widow, Andrewian, who I got to meet a few weeks ago, which was awesome. Um, and of course she's working on the current Cosmos series. She worked on the original Cosmos series. He wrote a book called the demon haunted world science as a candle in the dark. And I would encourage anybody who has not read that book to please do so. It, it is a classic of um, science communication. It is not a science textbook. It talks about how we think and how we use scientific concepts to understand and explain the world around us. And when I was watching this episode, the short track, that title jumped to mind exactly because, of course, 
these people live in a demon haunted world. And she literally with the little firefly uh, in the first part of her journey has this candle in the dark to get herself to the next part of her journey to then have the, the orb and, and share the stars and kind of the, the awe and wonder of the universe with other people. Um, I, I, again, I, I can't really say enough good things about this episode. Okay, but what I, I have not mm. read that Sagan book, but I huh? am in love with the title. Yeah. The Demon Haunted World, Science as a Candle in the Dark. How long did it take Carl to come up with that? You have to ask his widow. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I, you know, he, he the was- the perfect he, title. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he, he got to have this, this heart uh, uh, of a poet. You know, uh, right? he, he, he wrote the, uh, the pale blue dot. So just looking back at Earth through Voyager as it, it made its way past uh, Saturn, I believe, and they turned the cameras back on Earth and it was an image one pixel high by one pixel wide. And he was like, that's it. The pale blue dot is where everything that we know has happened. Everyone you've ever loved, Everyone who has ever died, every war that has ever been Stop fought. it, John. You're going <laughs> to. <laughs> but it's, it's a beautiful, I can't take credit for it. Those beautiful words were, were Carl Sagan saying like, look, the, this is the awe and wonder of the world that we live in, the awe and wonder of the universe that we should all embrace um, and, and not just rely on, on making up a myth to explain away something. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, you know, here's one thing, a non sequitur a little bit, but here's one thing that I was thinking about today. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the animation was so good with both these shorts, different styles as we are discussing, but both really high quality. And I think anyone would be excited to see more animation like this in the truck world, Yes. you know, and I was wondering with the untimely passing of DC Fontana and her involvement with the animated series, if she had a chance to see either of these before she passed. Cause it seems like, I mean, you know what I mean? Like she was so heavily involved. Yeah. I I hope she would have. Well, I, I know that we have um, Aaron Harvey in the uh, chat right now. He actually uh, co-wrote the book on the animated series. Okay. Um, and I don't know if he can answer that uh, with, with any authority or not. Um, I, I, I know that Dorothy was kind of in and out of Star Trek a lot. Like, so sometimes she'd be around and chat up uh, a lot about Star Trek and other times like, no, eh, you know, that was something I did. 45, 50 years ago and, and not so much, but yeah, I mean, that was really, that was really her baby. Mm -hmm. uh, The animated series. Uh, She got to uh, really leave her fingerprints on that. Um, I think she would have really enjoyed both of these pieces, um, especially the girl who made the stars. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to think so for sure. Um, And, and like you were just saying, you know, I, I would really hope that this sort of proves animation as a good space for Star Trek. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there are a lot of people who just sort of either forgot or erased the original animated series from their memories. Fortunately, it's had a big revival in the last uh, few years with the DVD and Blu-ray release, Aaron's book. Uh, well, also with, I mean, let's be honest, with gifts becoming popular, people are pulling from yes. that. You know, it's yes. fun. It's another source to pull from and, and it's enjoyable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, 
I, I love that we're going to get more Star Trek animated with Lower Decks and then the upcoming yeah. Nickelodeon show. And again, it's a place for people to be able to flex some creative muscle, which I, I really respect. And I respect that they were doing that here. You know, again, so regardless the the varying styles and whatever you are to our general audience may like or not like, um, there's a lot of creativity being expressed and a, a, a lot for people to find that really becomes their track that tells their story. So I love that that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little more about uh, Ephraim and Dot. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I said before that, I, you know, obviously this is a, a love letter to Star Trek and they're, they're really trying to fit in all these references and, and reach out to Star Trek fans, new and old, to say, hey, this is, this is another perspective, another way to look at these stories that you know and love. Um, but, uh, but Claire, I, I, I hate to bring it up. Yes. There, the there, A? Is that what Yeah, there, 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 <laughs> the might be, there might be a point in this animated show that they drop the ball. I, there was a moment. <laughs> did anyone else catch it? I'm sure people did. Yeah. If we both caught it. Yeah, well, because now you've got the ability to freeze frame and distribute all over the world with the click of a button. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, for those who are not aware, it was the 1701A. A. Yes. <laughs> which it should not have been. Um, no. Not in all the frames, just in one particular. They got rid of it on the aerial shots. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it was only in that forward pushing shot of the Enterprise. Yeah. Where you could clearly see a big A on there. <laughs> Oops. So, <Apes>. yeah. <laughs> you, you, you may know that you don't get the Enterprise A unless you blow up the Enterprise over the Genesis planet. So, oops. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, I mean, I think they acknowledged the mistake, right? Did they? Well, you, you found a tweet from uh, Michael Giacchino. He yes, the, I'm trying to pull it up here. The score. Yes, he said, he said, yes, our mistake. We tried to catch everything, but we were moving fast. Sorry about that. Pretend it's not there for now, which yeah. for now means just like the coffee cup in Game of Thrones, it will be fixed <laughs> shortly. So yes. if you actually saw it, then, you, you know, I guess you're, you're lucky, so to speak, that you saw <laughs> that mistake because it will be gone now that's technology folks <laughs> yes yeah this is this is star trek's coffee cup moment right this, yeah because i i you know as we both know very well um there have never been inconsistencies or mistakes in the 750 hours plus of star trek that have right. been produced no. up until now right it's yeah. the very first one actually yeah yeah i'm glad so we're we discussing all, it <laughs> yeah we should all feel lucky that we were here for the very first mistake you know, it's funny because usually this is the job of a script supervisor or, you know, you get into Star Trek, you get into the layers. I don't envy the person who has to fact check every yeah. single thing. Yeah. So if this is the only mistake, then pretty, I mean, too bad it was an obvious one, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah. still well done. Uh, Chris Riker in the chat says, get the space eraser. Yes. 
That's, yes. that's what we need. We need these. Isn't that a eraser. song somewhere? <laughs> space eraser. If it's, if it's not, I'm going to write it. <laughs> Please do. And uh, I want to perform that at Vegas. Um, no, not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but here's it. So you mentioned the script, though, and I, I, I saw the script. And in the script, there is nothing about like, uh, and then the Enterprise transitions into the Enterprise A. There's nothing specific about that. It's okay. just montage to get from here to here. Right. And, and that's it. So I was talking to somebody today who uh, is, oh, uh, what is he? He's actually a producer on uh, these, these Star Trek shows. And um, we were just kind of speculating, just like how does this kind of thing happen where, sure, you get it out there and three seconds later, the entire fandom goes, whoa, there's this glaring mistake. How did nobody see this? And first of all, it does go by very fast. Um, you you have to be looking out for it, at least on first glance. I didn't notice it at all. It took me a, a couple of times and having it pointed out to me. Um, we were saying, okay, here's the script. Script doesn't have anything in there about it at all. So it has to be storyboarded. And then it goes to an animation department. And these animation departments are huge and they are all over the place. And you have multiple hands on this at any given time. Um, my suspicion, and I just, again, I, I do not have inside knowledge of this. We were just speculating, like, how could it happen? It's like, well, think of it this way. Um, you've got animators here, 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 and here, all working on this project. Um, you get the impression, okay, we have a montage. You get us from an enterprise that looks like 1960s enterprise to then, quote, unquote, the movie enterprise. But as soon as you do your research, and even if you just do a Google search, all of that stuff gets convoluted. The refit enterprise being separated from enterprise A, it could get very confusing. And all it would take is an animator to go, oh, look, yeah, that's the enterprise that we're doing. It's got a big A on it. Um, now, it doesn't excuse whoever, to your point, Claire, should be a fact checker, should be a you know, a second or third or fourth set of eyes on it to go, oh, no, that's a mistake. But it honestly just could have gone by too fast unless you're going frame by frame. So. No, I agree. You know, it's, and sometimes it's fun to find those little things. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We, we were all here during 1701A gate. Right. <laughs> <laughs> when it exploded on the internet and, uh, and ruined Star Trek forever. No, no, no. Actually, Aaron says uh, a very easy solution is to have Larry Nemechek on staff. Seriously, how in 2019 does that not exist? <laughs> right? I mean, isn't he? I the know. Akutas and Larry can just make sure we're good on everything pretty much. I would, yeah, exactly. It would all be <laughs> that done. That team of three is the trifecta oh. of knowledge exactly hey uh as we come toward the end of the show i wonder if you would do us a favor and uh, please at least for my edification uh remind me about the roddenberry podcast network um, okay. i know everybody else already knows but I'm I, I, I would love to, John Champion. Okay, so Roddenberry Podcast Network. Um, what's on it? Well, first of all, what is it? It's a network of podcasts. And you can go to podcast.roddenberry.com where you can check out all the different shows. Of course, we have Mission Log, which comes out once a week. And Mission Log Live, which is not the same show. And no. Mission Log Live is happening live right now. Um <laughs> 
Priority One podcast. They do their show live shows on Tuesday nights at five Pacific. So you can definitely hop in for that. They're a great show. Women at Warp is another sort of feminist perspective on the Trek first. Mm-hmm. If you will, yeah. the Trek Files, that's Larry's show, of course. And yeah. they unearth documents that have either never before been seen or never before been discussed, or perhaps both. Ooh, um, ooh, wait, so, wait, I have an idea. I vote uh-huh. that we pull the script for Ephraim and Dot and do that on the next Trek Files. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> if you are like me, you like to check in with the Daily Trek News. So you're going to want to check out uh, Daily Star Trek News on Twitter and Instagram. Um, very easy to watch there. If you go to the Roddenberry Instagram, you can actually swipe up on all the podcast latest episodes. And then there's the newest member of the Roddenberry Podcast Network, which is Shabam, which is not a Trek show. It's a it's a show about the apocalypse. So, you know, you just zombie apocalypse. You want to, you want to start that at season one. Trust me. <laughs> it's, it's so Star Trek to just do yeah. the, uh, the, the zombie apocalypse. Yes. Uh, so all of those shows at uh, podcast.roddenberry.com. And, and you never know, we, we might be working on more. I mean, I, I would, I would fingers crossed. Let's just say. Yeah. Like that would be cool to have a few more. So mm-hmm. yeah, stick around never know. Um, since we're talking tonight about animated Star Trek and uh, the, the two episodes, Girl Who Made the Stars and Ephraim and Dot, and I do want to remind people that they can give us a call. You can join the conversation. Still a few minutes to do that. 669-900-6833. That number again, 669-900-6833. Or click on the Zoom link, do the thing. Earl, Earl, who uh, honestly, he's a little under the weather, but he is so ready to patch you in because then he won't have to keep you on the line that long. He'll just send you right over to us and then lickety split. We're talking about animated Trek. Um, you mentioned something about uh, classic animated Trek and uh, how, how that has then become like this resource, this, this gold mine for uh, GIFs and memes and I'm enormously entertained by all of those. <laughs> I wonder, like, has the animated series, has it either just happened to find its right audience? Because now you've got a lot of people who, you know, 30s, 40s, and a little older, who maybe grew up with it, who get to rediscover the thing that they watched when they were five, six, seven years old. Um, or is it just like, the time has come to to find this thing where you have intelligent adult storytelling, but done in this kind of quaint retro style. Where it, 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 sort of like, like campy, now is, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like now is the perfect time for this show. I mean, the animation isn't all that different than South Park. You know, if you think about it, yes. the style is yes. different, the look is different, but the amount of like cells per frame, you know, per second yeah. is not that different. So I think number one, if you didn't watch the series when you were a kid, there's something appealing about that style of animation nowadays because it's kind of what the adult animation uses, you know, yeah. the Simpsons, South Park. They're not this, you know, they're not Pixar. You know what I mean? Right. They have a certain stylized format that works for adult content and star trek although it was made in 73 and 74 has that same feel so i think it feels very familiar you know um i also feel like 
there's a throwback in animation for adults who have children of not wanting their children to watch this highly energized multiple you know multiple frames per second hyper animation where things are constantly shifting and changing like as a parent i think there's at least for me i want my kids to watch something that's going to calm them the f down you know <laughs> right yeah and yeah. the star trek animation will do that yes. so i think there's a couple different reasons why it's so popular now you know also there's this great twitter account and i can't think of it off the top of my head but i'll share it on my Twitter later, mm. where they take the, the old animated series and they put different language over it. And they subtitle it. And the characters oh. are saying like totally inappropriate things, <laughs> but it's hilarious. Yes. So that's, that's another reason. So there's many, many reasons why I think it's had a resurgence. I don't yeah. know. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, I, like, I always... I found it lucky that I have been a fan long enough to see Star Trek, the original series be cool again, because like it was one thing to be a little kid in the seventies. And that's all that you knew of Star Trek was just like, Oh yeah, it's Kirk Spock McCoy. Their enterprise looks like this and that's it. Full stop. You're, you're done with Star Trek. And then it was a surprise. Like, Oh wait, there's more Star Trek coming with somebody who's not Kirk and this other ship that'll never work. Um, but nope (laughs) yeah right but then getting through 90s trek and early 2000s trek uh to me maybe it's just because it's what i'm into uh but sort of the design aesthetic of original star trek to me looked cool again it it was this mid-century uh uh, space age you know Gene and uh, Bob Justman and Gene Kuhn and, of course, Matt Jeffries, who designed uh, the ships, they said, okay, what does it look like if it's NASA but two or three hundred years in the future? And on a very limited budget. <laughs> on a very limited budget. Yeah, but you can justify that. You say, well, it's very streamlined. It's right. just so advanced that it's super streamlined. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I dig that. And to me now... 90s track looks more dated in a weird way. I yeah, I understand what you're saying, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um and and that's no slight against, you know, uh uh Herman Zimmerman or Mike Kakuda or anybody who have done just extraordinary work on those shows. But I think it, it's the natural cycle of our pop culture that something comes out it has to be new and fresh and then it suddenly doesn't look cool anymore. And then it takes time before that comes back again. Right. I, I know for me, like, there's a comfort level of watching, like, the next generation because mm-hmm. I, I know what I'm watching. I know what to expect. I'm comforted by the familiarity of the characters. I, yeah. I know every, you know, I know Picard's going to make it. <laughs> you know? right. yes. And, and I don't, when I watch, when I choose to watch like Discovery, I'm choosing to engage on a different level than if I'm watching reruns for TOS or TNG or, yeah. you know, Voyager or any of those shows where I can be doing something else and still enjoy, look up every once in a while and enjoy watching. See, that brings up a really interesting question. We'll have to talk about this on a future episode of Mission Log Live or something someday, which is how does a show like Discovery hold up over time? Not not because it's not well made, not because it's not well acted, but the type of storytelling where you have a 15 episode arc 
it's very hard. I would think it would be very hard to just have that on in the background, right? Like, oh yeah, I remember that. And it's sort of a pleasant memory. It's like, no, no, no. My mind suddenly goes into overdrive thinking, oh wait, this is the one point where we found out that that led to this other thing that gets resolved five episodes later, <laughs> you know? Right. It suddenly becomes a puzzle instead of a show. Right, right. Yeah. Which is, you know, a turn that modern storytelling on television has taken because it's become more, you know, akin to filmmaking. It's filmmaking quality with yeah. Discovery and these yeah. shows, you know, that are airing on all, you know, all these different networks. It used to be there was quite a discrepancy between television and film. And now, really, television has overtaken independent film, definitely, and of many, many shows are of the quality of feature films. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. That is a whole other conversation we could and should have, but we can't do it tonight because we're up against the what? clock. And he, I know. We and are... Chris, Chris is right here in the chat saying this show is too short. Good thing. There's another one next <laughs> well, Chris, week. Chris, you didn't call in next time you need to call in. Yeah. And then, Chris. you know, Chris, <laughs> now that we're calling you out by name, Chris Riker, Chris right? William Riker. Um, thank you to Riker. everybody who joined <laughs> us. And Claire, thank you. This has been a blast. Thank you, John Champion. I've had a lot of fun. <laughs> All right. Uh, folks, you go, well, uh, your Twitter account, uh, just at Claire Kramer. At right? Claire Kramer. It's very simple. I like to keep things simple. At Claire Kramer. Yeah, and, and spell it right. C L A R E K R A M E R. Yes. Exactly. So go follow Claire this very minute. Until then, Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log Live by the under the weather Earl Green. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, including Mission Log, Mission Log Live, Women at War, Priority One, The Trek Files, Your Daily Star Trek News, and Shabam. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, give us a look at patreon.com slash mission log. Thank you to everyone who joined us live or later, and we will talk to you, wait for it, next year. Ah! <laughs>